Hello, welcome to Tech Manor Podcast. It's episode nine of the season. It's going to be a spicy episode today. We've got news, we've got stadium chat, we've got games to run through, Ipswich, Wickham, Burton, Barnsley. Uh, we'll look ahead to Shrewsbury on Saturday. And there's a few other things to discuss in between. It's the standard <laughs> Triple J attack. We've got me, James. We've got John. Hi, John. What do you have for dinner? Uh, I haven't had it yet. So you're not going to get me on really? that one. Really? Oh, no. that's going to be a late, a late. That's the you're getting into cocoa pops territory when it's finishing up a pod at 10 p.m. Pod or dinner? Where are your commitments? I like it. Pod and pops. Um, Jack, dinner. I, I got ready for a spicy pod by having a chicken curry. So very I'm, good. I'm spicy. Did you have any pudding? Uh, a chocolate bar, if that counts as a pudding, rather what, than a snack. What chocolate bar? Uh, a whisper gold. Oh, okay, strong, strong choice. Do you want to retract that? I'm spicy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the moment, the moment I said it, I thought, ah, uh, well, that's not one I'm going to look back with. That's, with uh... that's the end of Captain Ox on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. That's BBC Oxford off the cards ever again. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, I needed that to start this. Um, Actually, we can we can go off into the news and start on kind of like a positive note. Um, actually, before we get on to the stadium chat, because we haven't caught up um, since the county council meeting, um, but did any of you guys listen to the Tim Williams fans forum? Yes. Yep. Yes. Jack, the the man can speak very well, can't he? he I mean, better than us. Well, yeah, yeah, which is probably a good thing given his position at the club. <laughs> um, yeah, he did. He did speak very well. Um, I thought there was tones of clear frustration about how things are going, which are good. It wasn't all uh, everything's okay. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I didn't really feel like he gave much clue on if or when there's a tipping point um, in terms of Carl Robinson's job, but which in itself was strange because he basically admitted that the playoffs has gone, which. Yeah, at the start of the season, that was the aim. So he was basically admitting there's a there's a failure there. See, uh, see, whilst not wanting to put everything through the KR lens, I latched onto the fact he said, "We'll go game by game." Which I didn't notice that. Which basically said to me, "Well, that's exactly how it's going to be for the foreseeable." Yeah, but maybe I'm looking for something. Looking for a thread, yeah, for a thread. But that's what I latched onto. To the opposite of what you've just said, yeah. I did. I, I, the thing on a positive note, when he was talking about, um, he, he was kind of saying there were some questions about are you just focusing on off the pitch stuff and not really caring about what's going on on the pitch? But I thought his answer was pretty good, and he was basically saying he's going to make no apologies for for that, for the sake of the revenue, the, the fact that I think he said. I put it in the notes, four million pounds of revenue lower than where we probably should be at. So if we had the stadium in place and you get the extra match day revenue in, but also um, the use of the stadium facilities outside of match days, he was saying it kind of they would work out. It kind of adds up to about four million pounds of additional revenue, which is obviously then invested back in um, the playing staff and beyond. So I mean, he summed it all up when he kind of went. Please, you know, you should come to the stadium, support the team, but don't worry about buying any food and drink. <laughs> um, basically, because we don't make yeah the money off it. Get a meal deal, 
like Tony Tony does on your routine. I, I I think all that point was fair enough. I, I mean, looking at Twitter and the forum and stuff, people have latched onto it as in how dare he say that we should come when the you know the on pitch stuff is rubbish. But I think it was a much more general point than that. In line with you know we need a new stadium for this reason. We need that quote four million in 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 our bank rather than not in the bank. And to be fair, like I I work over the road from Pride Park, Derby's ground, and. The amount of function rooms that they are renting out daily for meetings, conferences, university yeah. stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, you know, yes, they're a bigger club, bigger facilities, etc. But they're they're um, really bringing in that kind of ancillary revenue that we just can't because we can't use the stadium other than a match day. Ancillary is a great word. That's probably word of the pod for today. Might as well wrap up now then. Yeah, let's finish there. <laughs> um, that that takes us well, segues us onto the stadium. So the county council meeting happened over a week ago now. Um, it was interesting to hear that they had over fourteen hundred letters or emails, correspondence coming through from fans, and I think they kind of suggested that's the most they've ever had for anything um, of this this sort. Um, we all submitted letters. John, do you want to summarise the main points that you were covering in, in yours? Yeah, I, I tried to do sort of pull the heartstrings by sort of making the point around this is something for everyone, wherever you come from, whatever walk of life, whatever age. Um, but mainly tried to get this whole thing about, you know, it's an asset for Oxfordshire, not just Oxford United. Um, I thought that was important to sort of really get across that that's what, I think a lot of fans want, they're not just want a stadium. They do get the whole, it's a wider thing. Um, but then also I just sort of thought, I looked to the kind of council's strategic objectives and was saying, well, actually the club have done extensive amount of work, which demonstrates that delivering a stadium would meet the, the majority, if not all of the council's objectives. So I sort of played that back a bit because it was like, well, that's what you want. This is how you're going to get it Yeah, sort of stuff. And then I think the point which I think we all probably made was around um, the kind of being exiles, the sort of, call it the, the, I think I called it the visitor economy, just to sort of speak in a sort of more formal councillor lingo. But actually, if you have a stadium and a facility that means more people want to come to Oxfordshire and they either come to a game, spend a bit of money and leave straight away, or they go, actually, let's stay around in Oxford for a weekend and and spend more money in the in the city so i sort of went along those lines really yeah jack anything to add no pretty similar i I just kind of said you know i've not lived in oxford since i was one the reason i come back to the city is for the football club i've got no family ties anymore if the football facility is more appealing yes i'm only one person but i would come back more and i you know i think that's pretty the 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 common theme amongst a lot of exiled fans is if there was the the pull of the stadium out and the day out, um, and then that 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 spreads to away fans as well. I talked about going to watch England away and chatting to fans, and when they, when you say you're an Oxford United fan, they laugh and go, "Oh, three sided stadium." You know, if you flip that round five years time, oh, you've got the really nice eighteen thousand seat stadium, haven't you? And you can do this before the game, and then you can stay over. Yeah, so I just played on that kind of you know. It's a facility that should attract people. I saw a, I saw a poll somewhere where I'm pretty sure Sam Sam got voted one of the worst stadiums in, you know, next to like Reading and 
some other one, Luton or whatever. Which is pretty embarrassing, really, when you when you actually think about it. I I voted as it. Well, yeah, probably lots of Oxford fans yeah. voted for it. Yeah, but <laughs> still, I think. Um, but you make a good point, Jack. Both about the exiles. I'm I'm sure lots of people are in that camp. But also for yeah. Oh, with general away fans, if you're in the championship, you've got the opportunity to attract four, five thousand if you really want to allow them in, um, you know, week in, week, well, every other week type thing. So, you know, it, instantly there's there's a good opportunity there for that extra revenue and the match day experience to massively improve, not just for Oxford fans, but anyone that's visiting. Um, I went for the similar stuff, but then touched on the York City ground obviously Jack you know that which has been built kind of on the ring road on the outskirts just north of the city but it's a a real kind of community hub and yes there's some kind of retail park vibes a little bit going on but they've also incorporated a big new leisure facility big sports hall uh, swimming pool they've got an NHS um, facility in there as well which is always pretty busy and it just takes a lot of pressure off the hospital but it I mean it's really used every day there's always always a bit of a buzz around the place and it's a community hub and that's exactly the type of thing that you know you you hope that the club will start to look at about how they can support the community beyond just the football um, and that and that doesn't have a rail station right next to it that, yeah so, exactly that and it, york the york ring road is absolutely horrendous it's like a single <laughs> single road for the majority so you, of it you can so. have you can have those potential users but not on the roads it's yeah, there's so much potential with with what they're what they're looking at um, in Kidlington. So, fingers crossed. We all kind of expected it once the, um, the the kind of recommendation came through just before the meeting that it would get to the planning stage. But now it's all it's kind of really positive, isn't it? It's about we know kind of what the hoops are in a sense that we need to jump through. We want we know what the focus areas are. So it's about the club. I think it was worded well by Grant. Ferguson afterwards and then um, reiterated by the club with kind of no name against it about where the club's going to announce a series of kind of work streams that will be starting immediately following the decision by the county council to proceed with negotiations on the triangle. I think they're going to start engagement with the fans about what they want to see in a new stadium as well, whether that's kind of things, facilities, or whether it's actually design aspirations and things like that. Um, but yeah, either way, it's going to be exciting. We're expecting news by the next time the council meeting comes back together, right, on progress. So hopefully this next phase moves a lot quicker than the last. But I'm actually buzzing for it. It's hard, isn't it, to separate the football with the <laughs> off-the-pitch stuff in a sense. It's just you're kind of emotionally all over the place. But it's um, it's mega exciting for the club. I must say as well, all the all the Oxford fans who spoke at the council meeting pitched ah, it yeah, perfectly as well. Because I think as a football fan, you get a bit of a reputation of like, oh, a bit kind of rowdy and not particularly well-spoken or intelligent. But every single fan who spoke didn't just speak from the, it's my football team, give them a new stadium. They spoke from different points of view. There was a business owner, there was the young lad, Harry, I think Harry, he was. He yeah. was, yeah, was eight, yeah. nine, brilliantly... A worded and B delivered to have that much confidence and to nail it, I thought was fantastic. And I think, you know, that opened up a different viewpoint for some of the councillors. Perhaps that it's not just 
stereotypical middle-aged white blokes to go and watch football. It really is a family thing, and that's crucial for, again, the, the county and the city. Paul Peros did a good job with that as well because he, he owns a couple of businesses in Kidlington and was just like, we keep, you know, we've heard it as well that the kind of friends of Stratfield break and beyond keep referring to um, the fans as just, you know, it's for their football fans. Of course, they're going to vote that way. It's like, no, they're still people and residents of Oxford. It's like, it's not, <laughs> it's I don't know. They're not mutually exclusive all the time. Um, I thought the, um, the other two standouts were... Well, they both happened to be women, but they were Kidlington residents. There was one who talked yeah. about the sort of made the point, which I think has to be made around this is something for potentially the future generation to sort of benefit from. But equally, when she was speaking, I was going, yeah, but it's really important that people of an older age are not kind of written off in this space as well. It, it's sort of it's big for Kidlington and it is for the future generations, but actually it should be for, for all. And then I think it was a business owner was the other where she just sort of used some very powerful language. And I think, I think it was the first person I was referring to who talked about the silent majority in Kidlington is actually quite for it. And I think that is a, is a powerful thing, silent majority for these things, because it is the vocal yeah. minority that, that make the noise. Um, and then the second person jumping around a bit, she talked about sort of Kidlington is, you know, I think she used to say Kidlington, Kidlington is dying, but she was making the point that it, actually all places need fresh new investment to come into them just to sort of move them along a bit. They can all feel like they're very nice places and prosperous places, but it's, it's needs a constant cycle of stuff coming through. So that yeah. I, I thought they were very, made the most powerful arguments that I think would make someone go, yeah, actually this is local people who are saying they want this. I, I think that's a great point, especially as the country's going into one of the biggest recessions it ever has probably gone gone into and you've got something like this that's churning in the background so yeah i mean let's not let's not get into uh, (laughs) imf uh, forecasts and stuff like that i think the the last the last point on it it was obviously a classic um local politics council session that it had to be paused for 10 minutes due to the uh, (laughs) the co2 monitor flashing red or whatever i mean if ever there was a moment where you just think this is mental, it's where they had to pause speaking about a big decision for the, you know, the future of a football club, the future of a massive community asset, and it was because the CO two monitor was flashing. <laughs> it all the whole occasion does feel very old worldy, doesn't it? The the big throne that the chief councillor sits on. It's quite medieval. Somebody offered you your throne, you'd be there in second. <laughs> I know, I just So so let's just... not sort of you get thing. dig out the council leader on the. I know. Just even the way they address each other and stuff, it's just, um, yeah. Anyway. I think what's important, the, the boring bit to all this, is because it's nice to feel really positive about it, is that, and I think the club needs to keep the messaging up about this is still really early. Like, this is stage. This is yeah. like, we're going to, we've agreed to have a chat. And then you would hope that whatever terms of a deal, they've already kind of worked out what different options could be. So they can kind of now walk into a meeting and go, Right. What about this? No. All right. What about this? It shouldn't need to be as worked out, and then, but it still feels like it will be sort of six months before we come back to have them vote on whatever the deal is. The lease deal might be, and then you go into planning. So, whilst it was quite good to have Tim Williams to be saying very confidently, twenty six, twenty seven season. You know, we can't have another like 
oh, it's going to be delayed till the following meeting. It's going to be delayed to the following meeting. Yeah, yeah, it will be it'll be the end of the year before we know it, and it it's got to be sort of within the next six, surely. It, it's going to be interesting seeing what happens next with kind of when do we start seeing proposals, blueprints, architecture diagrams, three D images, that type of stuff. That's well, kind of it. You get, for quite that's a while, though. That's that's that's, that's that's the thing. You won't get your CGIs for like a little, a fair while longer. I want, I want, I want a a model of the seat so I can try and uh, go and sit in them. That's what I want. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, the thing that still gets me a, a bit is with the triangle and obviously Stratfield Break. Like, if when the proposals come back, if Oxford want, if the club wants to meet all the criteria that's been set, I'm sure you can do it for the sake of the stadium. But all of the community assets and obviously everything with the other um, neighbouring kind of sports teams, the cricket and the rugby clubs, a lot of the benefits were coming from obviously the Stratfield Break site. So it's just going to be interesting to see how they still incorporate some of the community benefits on a much smaller scale site. Um, but that might then come back into, right, what's the best decision to make here around what the site is and everything else. But you kind of assume it's off the table to go back over the road from the triangle, but we'll have to just see what plays out. Um, the ice rink is the thing that always comes to mind. I was well excited about that, the prospect of having that kind of both clubs working together. Yeah, well, a lot of it is off the table now yeah. unless there is a way to do a later phase but you'd you'd be going up a, a different thing that i where the ice rink is is in such a ridiculous spot in oxford oxpens like it's the thing it was going to elite it was a classic this alleviates two problems or three problems it's exactly but but that, yeah. that's what i mean there's a, there's something in that where the council it might be of interest to the council to still think about things in that way but again just have to see what plays out because you might have concepts where the club's like well we would have liked to have done this but obviously because of reasons of scale we're proposing this and stuff i think i think that's where you get the sort of you do it in blocks and phases and yeah this, this is where some people get het up because things happen and they're like oh yeah and we're gonna do this now and like well hang on a minute <laughs> but that's maybe one way it all happens just takes a lot longer yeah all right um other news transfer window closed Someone's put ratings out of 10. Do we want to rate the players out of 10 or do you want to rate the window out of 10? I was going to rate the window. Okay, let's do that. And I'll give it a six. A six. On the basis that I still think we're massively lacking a Gorin replacement. And we have been since he first got injured and we haven't addressed it in three windows now, is it, I think? So that's that's a massive deduction. What do we call that player again? A, a, a rotter, rotter. rotter. That's yeah. John's John's term, and I think having a mild mannered rotter, a mild mannered rotter would have been fine. Didn't have to I be an absolute. Any anyone who might tackle a bit was basically what I would have gone for. An all rounder would have been nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think having spent the entirety of the window saying we need to get an additional forward in, we need to get an additional forward in, and then letting one go out at five to eleven. Um, regardless of form, and yes, Taylor had not scored a lot and he looked a bit off it and all the rest of it, but as we can't add anything now unless we go and sign a Conan Wickham-type free agent, it would. I think we needed to keep Taylor around, even if it was as a kind of extra body, because with the injuries that still exist, the squad is still pretty small, even with those couple of additions that came in this week. It's crazy, isn't it, that his, his record last year in 
in total was 22 goals in 46 games. Um, you know, it's not that long ago. <laughs> um, you still got to think that he was an option off the bench, if anything. And then we played you, uh, up front. Would you build on a six? Nope. I think six is about right. I, just, I think I'd go five, just to be different. Um, Canate, fine. Like, I was a little bit surprised when they said, oh, he's actually like a bit more of a midfielder, a sort of, or potentially a wider one. And I thought, okay, maybe that suggests he's really losing faith with our existing wider players. But he's a young player. He's, in theory, looks like he can dribble. So I was like, that's fine. If we need players who can carry the ball to do something different, so that's fine. But the Taylor thing for me was just, it just completely doesn't make footballing sense. It, it feels like it's been done to sort of almost help Matt Taylor out a little bit more than it helps us because I guess he's been said, look, we're not sure contract situation in the summer. It's probably only going to be a one year at the most. And he's gone, okay, my old manager said, come and play here for six months and you might get a two year at the end of it. And that he's obviously going to jump at that. Um, so it, it feels like there's yeah. sort of a bit of a, I think the the, yeah. the other element to the Taylor move that irritates me is having just seen Massinio walk out the door and you've got Baldock, Baldock even sat in the treatment room, you've got James Henry sat in the treatment room, there's not too much in the way of older heads in the rest of the playing squad at the minute. So just having that bit of experience in and around the dressing room, especially at the point we are now, which is you know on a losing streak, head to down a little bit, Having someone like Taylor, I don't know how many career games he's played now, but a, you know a good chunk more than quite a lot of the players that are going to be playing week in, week out. Um, played like four hundred games. Yeah, so it's a it's a big loss from that point of view. And when the chips are down, sometimes experience, you know, is worth its weight in gold. So it's kind of a double double loss for me. Yeah. Um, the weird thing with that, as well as like Kr was playing. Carl Joseph down the middle uh, the other week where Wickham I think it was away um, and then he's kind of decided that again he wanted to move Joseph out wide and Bowden's obviously come in against Barnsley last night and it just the it saying just... the saying that Bowden is a is a very viable striking option and then throwing in that Bulldog is coming back just did him no further favours as yeah. well when when talking about the well, if Matt Taylor goes, well, actually, we've got Canate Smith, Bulldog, and Bowden. Doesn't I, I parking think as Taylor form doesn't convince you, does it? With Canate, I don't feel anything for that. I probably, <laughs> I actually think a five is no, but it's more He's a human like being. <laughs> it's more that I just think at the beginning of the season, you can. I think it's easier to afford that type of no idea how this will work out signing. Um, but it's all you're going to get in January. Can't, yeah, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's very much uh, the season's gone. Let's because this guy's out of contract with Forest in the summer. It very much feels like let's just give him a six month trial almost. It's the same. Is Smith out of contract as well? Yeah, he is as well. Yeah, Hull. Um, and Smith's record isn't exactly booming. Nor he's just one of those players that's been around a fair bit mid twenties, but just hasn't really played that many. Yeah, and, games, but he doesn't score that many goals. We've only saw. I've only seen sixty minutes of it, but he, he doesn't seem like he's a sort of uh, 
brings loads of other elements to his game and the fact he doesn't score that much doesn't isn't as big a deal like you know like Ryan Taylor of old on those mm. sorts of players but uh, that, that is jumping he seemed he seemed pretty rapid yeah, uh, yeah. And, I think uh, I, th- yeah. I think he definitely opens up the option well and we will discuss this I'm sure but he opens up the option to go a bit more direct and try and get a striker in kind of over the top which we haven't really had this year but we haven't had anything well, no, but 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 no equally, <laughs> yeah. This is the point. Re- actually, the assist levels from our forward players, our wide players, are woeful. So, uh, you know, the, the the classic example is: oh, we could have Harry Kane up front, we still wouldn't score. That's probably true this season because the the creativity from out wide, in particular, when we when we've signed wingers to play as wingers and to be creative, has just been. Lacking, and that's the back to the Matty Taylor point again, isn't it? It's just he hasn't had service and he hasn't really missed that many chances. It's not like that's the thing that's been queuing up where we've been going, God, he's missed a lot. Um, very, yeah. very quickly on Matt Taylor, um, top Matt Taylor goals, or oh. just because it feels like we need to give bring some positivity to him, given. He may have, we may never see him that, again. That's weird. That it, it, that's kind of how straight why it feels strange. I, and I pulled his record up because I was just like, God, he got thirteen in the season he was on loan, then eighteen in in um, forty six league games, then twenty in forty four last time out. I liked his um, brace at Charlton. Did he get a brace at Charlton last year? <laughs> it's hard to remember, but I just both of the goals were great, Matty Taylor goals. And someone's going to say he only scored one. He definitely got... I'm pretty sure he got two goals and they were great. Baldock got one. Yeah, that was the game, Baldock's first game, wasn't it, pretty much? Or... We won it was, four, it was when... Rannigan the... scored a belter as well, didn't he? It was yeah, when he did the partnership. Yeah, he got two. I think they were just both really great striker goals. That's it. Weirdly, when you were describing the lack of service, Jack, that's what went was in my head. Like, we were breaking quickly... I remember Ryan Williams darting down the left and just playing it just in front of Matty Taylor. So all he's got to think about is where well, he's going to but, put the ball. But and straight to your point as well. Like, so I would say for this question, like, for me, two goals that really suddenly sprang to mind. They weren't the most sexy goals in the world, but there were two ones where against Rotherham and Portsmouth, he scored these quite sort of dinky little headers, and they were both from like James oh, Henry, the, the kind of away last minute. Yeah. Like, and in Rotherham, he sort of peeled away a bit, and it. I remember, yeah, both then, very similar goals, though. But they're not they're not exciting. But there was something about them, sort of like classic striker goals. Yeah. And then the one at Aki was Aki, yeah, that was was, ama- was amazing. From a but that wasn't a typical Matt Taylor goal. It was just, um, you know, outstanding. But um, yeah, yeah. I just thought it's good to talk about those sorts of moments. I think that's the other thing about it as well. Like you say, it. It very much seems that we won't see him in a shirt again. And when you've had a player like that who just kind of exits almost silently out the door, yeah. you know, and yes, he's an Oxford boy and, you know, he kind of came back to the club. But for three seasons, he scored what? Is it over 50 goals in three seasons or something? Like that doesn't happen that often. And to kind of not have the opportunity to almost say bye. And actually, the last thing he will remember of Oxford fans is after the game at Burton, like, you know, it feels, it's, it's sad from that point of view. Yeah. I haven't been, it's back the Odonka thing as well. We all know that there's potentially 
potential <laughs> there. But fans were singing for Odonka and for Taylor to get off the pitch at like Wednesday away and like other games and that that type of stuff. I just didn't think, you know, was needed either. But maybe it all kind of stems down to... I did find it hard then, the the shock and reaction on social media. Because I swear some of the people that were like, this is ridiculous, are probably the same people that were calling for him to not be playing at all type thing. But yeah, I, I agree. I'm, it's a shame how it's finished like this. But I think to John's point, it's probably for Matty Taylor's benefit rather than um, anything else. And he deserves that he doesn't deserve to just drift into nothingness he he deserves the final contract and i'm sure he'll he'll probably do a job for them they're above us aren't they yeah, <laughs> yeah. at least he can't won't be able to play against us on easter monday i think it is no that's it um so tyler smith we talked about a bit as well i you you assume he's going to be the what the main stay in that kind of central role um and that's it, isn't it, really? We obviously had Fleming join earlier in in the window, which hopefully will end up being a, a decent signing as well. Um, stuff that went on elsewhere across the league, which is always quite frustrating to look at when you've had a five or six out of ten window yourself. I noticed, um, I mentioned this before, but that Tishy Manga guy who... <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with this, this chat. He was Oxford City, wasn't he? Then scored 40 goals in two seasons, so 80 in total for Boreham Wood, then went to, um, where did he go? Chesterfield. And then he'd scored 32 in like 30 games or something like that before getting a pretty bad injury. And Jack, you were saying that's the reason you may have stayed away from him, but I still felt that that would have been great. That type of signing, someone that just scores a ridiculous amount of goals, albeit at conference level. Um, I still felt that that was the type of thing that would have been a great ambitious move for the club. Peterborough, he's gone to Peterborough. I mean, listening. that's what Peterborough do, isn't it? They sign strikers from non-league and yeah. it generally works out for them. So, Well, that, that's it. I'm so, sure we'll be forever looking back at it going, oh, you know what? We could have could have invested there. Could have had him for 10 grand and a Calippo. Yeah. Uh, any other stuff across League One? Tickle anyone's fancy? There's a few... Your classic kind of on paper players that have moved that you you know the Jack Marriott and the Jaden Stockley going to Fleetwood historically have scored goals at this level. Yes, they're getting on a little bit, but they're they're younger version. Well, they're younger than Taylor and Baldock, for example. So you you look at that with one one eye and think, mm, would we have been interested? Seeing as we were in for a striker, um, and a couple that stood out. I mean, Wickham sold Mametti for a club record fee to Bristol City. I didn't even see that. Yeah, he, so he tore us apart. <laughs> he did. Yeah. So I mean, Do you know what the fee was was just undisclosed. Or? Undisclosed, but the Bristol end seemed to suggest it was around about a million with uh, he, potential he add-ons. Like a player. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pompey signed Paddy Lane from Fleetwood for two hundred and fifty k. That feels like one that's a little bit to appease their fans because I think they've been criticising their own board for not investing. He had a really good year last year for Fleetwood, but has been very quiet this year. Um, and I just found it hilarious that across the window, Burton signed seven loanies. Um, obviously, you can only have five in his squad, so that just creates a bit of, you know, you know, competition. Clearly works. Well, yeah, that's not well. Actually, <laughs> we're going to have to go there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And then you, you popped in some Oxford players. A bit. I thought Todd Kane had already joined Charlton at one point in his career. Is that not a thing? No, he, he scored for us against Charlton. Where was he before? <laughs> Coventry? Or he's, yeah, he's on loan from Coventry at Charlton. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, Dan Crowley at Cheltenham. And then Shadipo. Lincoln did Shodders. Shodders, yeah. Shodders. I'll never forget that um, Rochdale 4 3 halfway line. What a moment that was. Uh, (laughs) um, Didn't um, Fosu go somewhere? Tariq Fosu. Yeah, he's gone to Rotherham. That's it. I can see that. Um, I don't really want to talk about the football, but I suppose we can start with the Ipswich game and just say it was really foggy and. quite amusing it's not really much else to say is there i mean it was not really a football game by the well, second half we did do the we did go to three at the back which was a, yeah. a first time we did that and whilst we didn't see any of the forward element of playing like that it was quite interesting to see us be relatively defensively quite solid and stood up for them to most of the game really and then and it, you could see um, first half, couldn't you, that we were it were competing a lot more than when we were at their place, especially after the first like twenty five minutes at Portman Road, which got battered. Yeah, but I mean, they came into it a little bit, but then um, Yannick sort of managed to just bundle his way through, and uh, to be fair, you know, got off the got off the mark. Um, but it, it was just interesting to see us sort of pick that game out as the one to try it, and equally, I was. I mean, it's formations, formations, or whatever. But it was weird he didn't take, follow it on into the Wickham game as well. Yeah, yeah, especially when you want that solidity in going through the side. Um, Jack Wildshot, where are you at in the Wildshot camp? Been impressed? Not sure. I just find him incredibly frustrating. I think he he's got this ability to do something flash to beat his man. But I think we've touched on it before. The pace he had when he was at Wigan is definitely not there over a longer, a longer distance. I think over the first ten yards, he's quite quick. He seems yeah. to have this ability to kind of like bundle through a couple of challenges and keep the ball. But his his final ball, his crossing, his pullbacks to the penalty spot has been awful. There was a couple of examples at Burton. Every game he's played, there's been a couple of examples of being in a really, really, really good position and just not finding a yellow shirt. And it's, it's infuriating. It's his best, his best moment or moments came that first half against Exeter, where he just ripped up the left hand side of the pitch. And yes, his end product wasn't great, but he had the beating of the guy every time. And since then, it hasn't. He hasn't really looked the same. Albeit, I know he got the goal in this game, but even so, he has that sense of arrogance about how he plays, <laughs> which sometimes I think can be good. I said Gino I Van Kessel. Didn't yeah, really work, either. but it looks lackluster as well on the other, the other side, and it, it sort of really came to the fore in the latter games that we'll talk about. Yeah, but he can, um, pl- but he can pluck it out of the air, like you know. Yeah, he's, he has his a... touches can can be ridiculous. Um, I still think there's more to come from him with a few more, hopefully with a bit more fitness and game time. Uh, the the winning goal was good fun as well, wasn't it? When you actually saw it from someone's um, Twitter feed yeah. after the game, you realised it was actually a great hit, wasn't it, from Brannigan? 
No, it was an absolutely phenomenal hit. I mean, I don't think the, yeah, it's one of those where the keeper doesn't save it, even if it's a clear day. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. But great win, and you just hopes going into we kind of looked at the fixtures, didn't we? Ipswich, then Wickham to follow, and thinking this this could be a real real tough run of games. Um, but Wickham wasn't very fun, Jack, was it? It just fell into the extremely predictable camp of Wickham away performances where they just get ahead and then we have no answer and just can't play football. Yeah, I think if you'd have asked most Oxford fans to write, I don't know, three or four bullet points down of how what could happen in this game based on games against Wickham in the past, they'd have ticked all the boxes quite quickly. We just... I mean, I'm going to credit Wickham, which I don't do very often at all. I thought that was one of the best Wickham sides we've seen. They were a lot yeah. more than the kind of physical machine. You know, they, they press hard. Obviously, we talked about Mametti. I think Scowan in the middle is a fantastic midfielder. They're, two, they're two, two, three central midfielders, yeah. which so lively, so on their toes, so like sort of progressive and snapping around us. And they make our midfield look positively like immobile. Yeah. at times um I'm with you I think they deserve a lot of credit and that's but that's this is where for me the kind of the start of the decline yeah. over the last three games kicks in because this is this is the start of so this is KL going coming up against the Wickham team that he's played countless times knows how they're going to play we all know the system they're going to play walks into it expecting a different result doing the same thing and it's different kind of defeats in the next two games that we'll talk about. But for me, it was like, this is a another red flag because it was like, you haven't even sort of tried to do anything differently. You, you set up a team full of quite creative players when this is not that sort of game. Yeah. I think the, the first goal we got done on the counter, Anderson was miles out of position and it gets pulled back to Vokes, reminded me of, I think it was last season, where they counted on us from a corner. And oh, you, God. and you, and yeah. you, and it was a similar thing that Anderson has a habit of if he's not got the ball, he'll suddenly decide he's going to go on the roam looking for the ball. And I don't think the midfield has still quite worked out when he does go or doesn't go. So no one drops yeah. into cover, and then we then the defense is just scrambled. So Kieran Brown had come to the penalty spot and left folks at the back, and it was just as John said, that was the kind of goal Wickham has scored against us for the past two or three seasons, and. We didn't, you know, to see it happen again. You just think, how how have we not learned? How has Robinson not learned that he has to play a different way against Wickham? Especially having just tweaked the formation the week before to counter Ipswich's threats, to then switch back to like the Oxford way that's never worked against Wickham. Yeah, it's just, it, you don't, does it make sense? It did feel naive. I think. As John was kind of alluding to the, the this being kind of the start of something a bit more forceful with the demise, it was the, the post match reaction caught a lot of people a bit off guard. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it was it was KR saying we were great in all areas of the pitch apart from up front, and I mean we've let in two goals. Jack's described one of them really well. <laughs> um, first half. And we've set ourselves up for just nothing from you know from half time onwards. And he he said the second half display was there was only one team in it. There was, I was like, what gate? I get so frustrated when I don't mean to completely start slamming KR too soon, but it's as if he thinks he can see a game 
much much better than fans in in the sense but we're not stupid like people we're watching the same game of football we know Wickham are 2-0 up and we know, they know what job they have to do they don't have to go gung-ho they just manage the game so so well that they, they were was, more than happy yeah. I think you got the stats up on on the notes they were more than happy to watch us spray 454 passes across the back four into McGuane back again into bait back again because they just press us and force us back we had two shots on target in the game Exactly that. Enough, enough said. <laughs> and there was nothing. There was no sense that it was changing for the yeah. whole thing. And that is just a team managing a winning position really effectively. And in your post-match reaction, you just have to acknowledge they were just much better than us. We've got some real work to do, especially in the midfield area. The, the goals we conceded were really poor. And yes, he did reference creativity up front and things not dropping, but. There's only so much you can... I, I just think there's a, a sense of... And, dom- and dominating possession is where another one where he falls down because we had 60% possession in that game and he's claiming it as a positive. And that's exactly what Jack's point with is. Two shots on target. Yeah, but it's yeah. 60% possession in the wrong, completely the wrong part of the pitch. And and that's the kind of decline this season that we, we've always been a possession-based team under him. But there's normally been a bit more snappy, quick balls, movement off the ball, playing through teams, one, two, three, four passes, and you're creating a chance. Whereas this year, everything just seems much slower and it goes out to the winger and then it comes back again and then it goes back to the back four. And it's it's that kind of pointless possession that, you know, you can pass it about 100 times in your own penalty box, but, you know, you're not going to score. If the opposition is half-organised... And half able to get back into a shape or press relatively quickly. There was a moment in the um, it summed it up in this um, game last night against Barnsley that we played four or five really nice passes in the first half, but I think Jerome just says Oxford played some lovely stuff, but they're still in their own they're still in their own half. Yeah, yeah. I think and it was, that. and it was like that, that was just that's what's happened all all season. My uh, my dad made a point at the Burton game. He just said to me. When Robinson first took over in League One, there weren't that many teams trying to play this kind of passing game. A lot of teams were a bit more direct, so we were something a little bit new. People didn't really know how to handle us. Over the last two or three seasons, a lot more teams have started to either A, play the passing game, or B, work out how to stop a team who tries to play the passing game. And that's by that high press, high energy. And Wickham did it to us, Burton did it to us. Barnsley did it. Like people have worked us out now, and we've not evolved enough to have a way of counteracting the block against us. Everyone's playing like three or three at the back, or forms of it as well. Like I've, I've just noticed. Um, I know the formations of players move around quite quickly on the pitch, and it's in and out of possession. So I think there's a way that the, the teams in this league are playing in a certain way, and ours I... our way is just not finding a way at the moment I still it's really weird to think about how often our centre-backs used to progress up the pitch with the ball as well at times when teams did try to counter us with a high press and get into our midfield they would often leave a gap and your centre-back would come marauding through the pitch I I can't emphasize enough how much I think that did for our play and it's quite you know we've obviously lost that completely but yeah I don't know um, we then go to Burton, which we all went to. Literally, yeah. 
Um, and it was just another absolutely shocker. Bar a couple of chances early on, Matty Taylor should have probably done a bit better with a with a shot. There was another, who was the other chance? Bowden was the other Bowden. one. That was it. Um, then from from there on in, we just really weren't creating anything. And I think Jack, you made a good point where you were just saying, as these games are going by, you're getting it's getting less and less clear what we're trying to do. Right. Yeah, it, 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 the, the general theme at the minute seems to be play well for the first 10 or 15 minutes, miss one or two either half chances or one really good chance. You see the kind of confidence drain from the players and then we get caught in this. Are we trying to pass it? Are we going a bit more direct? And I think at Burton, it just felt that the whole terrace behind the goal were just like, well, Burton are going to score here, aren't they? Because that's just how it is at the minute. We don't take a big chance. They'll score somehow. Obviously, it came from a, you know, a lucky goal, but it was a good strike from the the, the original shot, and it. But it just felt at no point were we trying to break through them. Were we trying to go wide? Were we trying to go direct? That's, it's that's just... it, isn't it? There's never been at all times in recent seasons watching Oxford. There's always been a thing where you could probably say, yeah, they like to have some overlapping fullbacks or. Or they they like to get the ball through the through the center. Or they've got they like to bring the ball out from the center backs. Or they like you know there's always something that feeds into like an identity as to how we attack. We, and, we can't seem to get the ball to wide wider fullbacks or wide players themselves. And I think the midfield, after initially looking like it was pulling itself together, it's got completely lost and doesn't know what it's doing whatsoever. It's so detached, isn't it, from f- forward thinking football like the three in midfield is the that's the way i kind of see it is like they're not attached to anything else that seems to be going no, they, on they, they, they the don't game. they're properly in a sort of right i've got the ball and we have to look up and see what other people are doing there's the patterns of play or general you know bait should get the ball and not have to twist or turn three ways you should be able to like move it very quickly and but you know again credit to burton like yeah they I don't think they particularly had a game plan, but they quickly realised that we didn't. And therefore they thought, well, actually, if we just push into them, we'll eventually get some basic chances. We'll put some basic balls into certain positions and just see what happens. And then that was all they needed to do. The the, the thing that got me, Jack, you said it yesterday, how many uh, debutants did they have in that lineup? It, it was at least four, possibly five. And that is absolutely horrendous. To, to be in the place where we're, we're at going into that game with them struggling, for them to have four or five new players, yes, you can, you know, that can be a bit of a bounce, but for us to not be able to stay organised enough to have a real go in that game, it just it feels inexcusable. Um, I don't know. Obviously, then, the reaction of the fans has been much discussed on, on everywhere <laughs> to do with Oxford, so... Um, Obviously, I, I I was absolutely furious when the tone changed. I think it was fine that the fans and it's all the the lad, we saw them coming into the ground. I said to Ben, Ben from the pod, as we were walking into the ground, like, oh, it's good. The next kind of generation, they're really making an effort to come in and make an atmosphere. Isn't isn't this good? They've all got their Stone Island jackets and their Burberry scarves. This is lovely. Um, but it, it they it turned so sour and it just. It, there was no need to make it so toxic and poisonous. They, all the time to go chants are fine. But as soon as yeah. it turned to that, like you, Scouse, whatnot, 
get out of our club, all this stuff. And then obviously what's materialized after about his family being targeted and stuff. It's just that it's completely needless and it's just just terrifying. I hate where society's got to, ultimately. Yeah, um, I was we were all saying we're all there feeling the vibe of like, yeah, this this has got to a sort of protest moment. But it's like you say, it's the Robbo out, time to go. That's all yeah, that's all fine. That's you know, the, you can do what you want. The thing is with the with, with with that kind of chant, whatever you want to call it, you're far more likely to get more involvement from a fact. It's far more impactful to have 800 people singing "Time to Go" than it is to have, you know, you scouse whatever you know touching on things, and it creates toxicity because then on the terrace you have people arguing about oh, yeah, it. We just get, the whole yeah. thing just becomes a complete web of apathy and anger and frustration exactly exactly that it just creates internal anger between the fan base as well because you just you can obviously see how many people that felt it was so unnecessary how i i just got i then just got confused because there were other chants from don't know where they were coming from but it was like ones was like how 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 crap must you be we we lose every week and i was like all of that we don't lose every week like we're mid-table like we don't. We're not winning every game, but it was this sort of like we're really that that poor. It was like, well, yeah, in this game and the last, we've really fallen down, but we're not. We're not Burton at the bottom of the league. Like all of that. Let's pretend we scored a goal. We've got the ball. Da 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 da. It's just because yeah, the self self with it. self detrimental stuff just becomes like as if mates are trying to outdo each other with oh who can get this chance to catch on the most kind of thing, and it's all very. It's a societal thing of like, oh, how many likes can I get for this? Or like, how many, you know, will this get, could someone put this on YouTube so it gets people to look at it? Like, it's just out of context. I mean, I don't don't disagree with your point you're making anyway. You don't want to be preachy about this thing, but it was just the whole like, you know, things aren't that bad. Like, we're not at the bottom of the table, we are in the middle. Um, It doesn't help the people, the team that are on the pitch about a few meters ahead of you. And I get sometimes you'll get pissed off with individuals and think people aren't putting a shift in, but that's just as a unit self. Yeah, detrimental I think stuff just... to, to to kind of wrap it up on a slightly more positive note, I think how the equivalent situations were handled at the Barnsley game, where it felt like over the radio anyway that people waited till half time to boo during the game for the ninety minutes. They were generally pretty supportive, and it was only after the game where the kind of well, get I, out of my club, thought, kind of thing, which is which South is fine. Stand Upper, though. Well, South yeah. Stand Upper leading the charge. Which on the I mean, it, in itself, says quite a lot. I think. Yeah, I didn't get the sense it was like, na- like nasty, like last night, because I thought it was going to absolutely erupt if we lost that game. It sounded like there was not peaceful protests, but the sort of there wasn't any sort of. There'll be some people who would have shouted out the same stuff that was personal, but it didn't seem to be that sort of overriding toxicity, which led me to think that the apathy is just so severe that that's even a, almost a bigger bigger problem. Well, I was about to say, is is, is severe apathy almost more dangerous than complete toxic, toxicity in terms of going forward? Because... You know, players have still got to play fifteen games or something. Like, well, this is the thing, and if the if the general feeling on the pitch is just like blur, I mean that quickly rubs off on a playing squad potentially. Yeah, 
Well, exactly. C- c- clearly, it clearly did in the yeah. <laughs> bars ago. Well, and yeah. But I, I, I felt last night a, a big part of why the reaction was that kind of weird, confused state where most people just got out of the ground as quickly as possible and didn't do anything. But it was, I felt like it was more important that we had a good performance last night. Is in and it wasn't a great, you know, it wasn't a, <laughs> a great performance first half. But Barnsley sat back and we got obviously into him at that point, got the goal back, and you know we we could have snatched a draw in that game it, and probably it, uh, reasonable value for that as well. It covered for the last twenty minutes. Covered for the first seventy, quite well. I, I, I did. I thought most of the second half. I thought like thirty-five minutes. They were they just mirac- just sat back. Their keeper, by the way, was one of the worst goalkeepers I've seen. Yeah, but <laughs> both level. teams were playing sort of like we don't really know what the plan is here, but it's just going to ricochet around a bit. It was like quite a pinball sort of game, and um, I don't think any either team was playing particularly well. It was just kind of like let's see where this this kind of ball ends up, and we were going a lot more direct. You know, we seem to have gone increasingly more and more direct and paid off in a couple of occasions. Uh, Tyler Smith <laughs> being one of them. Oh, God. Yeah, that, <laughs> they were, Jack, you were saying, didn't you? It reminded you of that Jerome Sinclair is for debut Burton away where he just cleaned through and then. But I think that, that, that chance in itself rather summed up the season. Like in a season where everything's going well and you're in the mix, like your debut striker's first touch chips the keeper, wheels away, takes the acclaim of the fans. Whereas, you know, where we are, bouncing about in mid-table in a bit of a rut, general apathy, your new striker just flicks the ball into the keeper's hands Delicate. for catching practice. Like, There's another, it just, another Josh Murphy penalty where you're like, oh, of, but, course, of yeah. course he's missed it. Like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, my, my favourite, I've written it down because it made me laugh so much, was... Um, uh, Amy Cranston came on to treat Brannigan and, and John just goes, why is Sam Baldock carrying a physio bag? <laughs> Forget, forgetting we have, uh, is it? I can't remember what his name is. Is it Rob Baldock or something? James, maybe, is, is the club doctor. They do look similar, though. But, well, I, 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 was, I wasn't surprised. I was like, he's filling well, in. Anywhere. I didn't say it in a bitchy manner, but I kind no, of, no. I, I suppose there was, a, there was a little bit in there. Um, but... Um. Yeah, the other kind of um, salt in the wound was Herbie Kane having that composure to kind of just be have the awareness that Nicky Cadden was um, bombing down on the left to just play yeah. him in. And, sim- and Nicky Cadden obviously being some someone we've shown a lot of interest in, similar to Stuart Finlay. Uh, I remember thinking, like, we don't have that. We do not have in our team that composure to have got the ball and to have just gone... I don't, it's almost like he didn't look and he just laid it left for the. I exactly. don't feel like we've had, played, had that at all. You notice how far up the pitch Herbie Kane was for a lot of that game as well, considering we played him in that kind of deep lying role. I I thought he looked slimmer as well. He got yeah, about he the pit. He got about the pitch a lot more. Like he looked, yeah, a very good player, which we we saw for half a season, um, and then after the Lincoln red card and his injury, he was never I quite mean, the same. He wasn't playing like in the same position we played him in, like as a, as a simple point. But he he just kind of looked like the player we know he he can be, um, and not just the sole sole point that if you target then you can shut him down. 
Yeah. Um, so still lots and lots of chat about Carl Robinson. I think what has been nice to see on the socials is that a lot of people have come in to defend him as a person in, in what he's done for the club and the community and all the reference to how he dealt with situations like Joey Beecham, Mickey Lewis. He came down for the funeral when Womble passed away. Didn't he drive down from Liverpool that day and stuff? And I just, There's just stuff that he's done where I don't think he's doing it just to look like he cares. I think he, he does it because it comes from the right place. And yeah, that's and why the five-year spell is just... And that's why that reaction from the Stone Island crew is just so infuriating. And he's, um, and he's raised the profile of the club from a, I suppose, well, I was about to say from a media perspective. And a lot of it is, you know, he makes himself look good as well. But if you think about BT documentary, we've had quite a number of decent sort of national pieces. There was another documentary that I'm forgetting where countless pieces in like athletic and types where he just makes the the club come across as very sort of professional and well-structured and all that sort of thing. And so... Yeah, the point around you're talking about with Joey and Mickey, that's far more important. But it's it's those things that like you want to keep in the bag of KR kind of credit. Yeah. And, and I look I back think, at a couple he's, of his he's, previous he hasn't got credit, but that's the I think he's out of credit now. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. He'll always he's... he'll always deserve respect. That's yeah, the point. Yeah, that's that's a better way of putting yeah. it. I think yeah, he's well out of credit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think his 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 football management side of his role has got to where it was at previous clubs where he's, he doesn't seem to be quite good enough to take it from threatening the playoffs to really getting in the mix. And we've spoken before about the number of kind of repetitive things that are happening season on season, like the squad is still not balanced. There's still obvious gaps as these interviews that you just think, well, that that isn't what happened in the game. But... For all the things you've just said, James, and you know, for everything you've said, he can name something else as well. Yeah. He he has understood our football club. He's understood its role in the community. He's understood the you know the the big people who you know are sadly no longer with us. We've had managers who completely detach themselves from that kind of thing, and they kind of go, "Well, I'm here to manage football. I'll what hell happens kind of around the club is happens around the club where he's." bought into both things and for that reason you know I'd, I'll he will go at some point for me from a football sense it needs to be sooner rather than later but you can't dislike him for how he's been off the pitch and getting our club because you, we just can't knock that yeah it's exactly that do, do you guys is there with Moose gone is there any sensible people around the market Michael well, Atherton or Chris Wilder but this is the well. Sorry, I was going to answer. I'll see thing in a slightly different way. This is the one of the issues with potentially getting rid of him, like after Shrewsbury or last night after Barnsley. Is there is literally, well, not literally. There is no one who could be an interim for a few games, and I don't like the idea of having to go out to the to the externally to get a kind of who's on the list at the moment kind of thing but equally I don't think with the decline of how the team has performed in the last three games they look absolutely clueless lack of confidence rudderless that that can go on for much 
for much longer. So all of the all the issues that have been bubbling under for most of this part of the season um, are being accentuated by the last how really shocking the performance has been in the last few games. But equally, we could throw ourselves into a complete unknown by we don't have a successor in any form, even if it's a you know it's a, a Mickey Lewis for three games or a Darren Patterson for five games or it's a you know whoever. Yeah, I think the answer is, and I, yeah, I think that's a nail on the head because you look internally at the minute, you've got Craig Shaw as assistant. I don't think he'd have any appetite to become you know the interim. Leon Blackmore, such is still is still pretty new to the kind of first team professional environment. After that, you're then looking at the youth setup, and the, that doesn't happen too often in a modern game. So then you go, okay, who's out of work or who might be available? And yeah. I scribbled a few names down the other day that might interest me, but not at this point of a season. Someone like Michael Flynn at Warsaw, who did a great job at Newport, he's not going to leave Warsaw with 18 games the season left to come and manage a mid-table League One side kind of through a bit of a rut. He'd want a summer to kind of go, right, new season, this is what I'm going to do. Someone like Grant McCann, who's out of a job, again, yeah. There's no value for someone like that to come in with 18 games left. There might be value to come in with eight games left if we fall into a relegation scrap or whatever, or the flip side where you go into a club who a manager's left to go elsewhere and they're on a playoff charge. Realistically, I don't think any external options would want to come in for such a short period of time going into the summer. If there's guarantees on role going into the summer... And they know what type of budget they will be getting in the summer, and they know what's happening with the stadium and the contract lengths. Decent. I think you can get, you can get people out of clubs. I think, it, I think the board I mean? wants I, to to get to. I think in the ideal, the board would want to, whether they have or haven't made the decision of their mind about care. I think they'll they'd want to get to the end of the season, which yeah. is why we probably see a few more games, even if the pain is even worse. No. If we lose to Shrewsbury on Saturday, he is gone. I I cannot see you losing four in a so, row and then I, I, yeah. I, I, there's no way the crowd doesn't absolutely tip to the point of no return on Saturday if we lose. I, I agree. I think if we if if we lose, in my mind, he should go. I think the board's hoping that they can um, bundle through till after the Accrington game on the last day. We've you know, we've not been dragged into a relegation scrap. They go, thanks, Carl, but let's draw the line, let's yeah, reset. That's what they want. The, the issue is, yeah. how long do they, at what point do they decide that bundling along is getting too dangerous because we're getting dragged into a potential relegation scrap? And that's... And, the, fa- this, and the fans lose, yeah. you know. And this get- is the thing. The, and I think the fans aren't suddenly going to go, if we win the next two games, the fans who have turned aren't suddenly going to be like, Oh yeah, he's the best thing since sliced bread again. That that is terminal now. That that section of the fan base and myself actually, who've said I think he should go. I'm not suddenly going to turn around and go like, no, we need to keep him now. I want him here next season because I don't. So you can't yeah. just keep having a cycle of lose a few games, pressure builds. Oh, he wins one, everyone goes ah, let's yeah. continue. Yeah, like I, that, I agree. You can't, with you. We can't get stuck in that cycle because it's it's dangerous. If the last three games hadn't been so bad. He, then we might have got away with a kind of doing the whole win two, lose one, draw, lose one, and end up in March, and everyone would go, oh, and then they'd get annoyed, and all the other issues would bubble up again. But 
I think that the one last point, just because I've written it down, I want to say it. <laughs> I think if this was a season, a mid-table season where we'd been kind of quite poor for a few seasons, I don't think there'd be as much kind of anger or frustration about. The fact is, for me, is all the noise of top 30 club, biggest budget, stuck Camp Brannigan on the biggest wage we've ever paid, Murphy all this Walsh, noise yeah. about... Exactly. He's, he's this, this, season, this season was a significant step up from what we've seen before. So the expectation was set so much higher and we failed to meet it. So that's why I've kind of gone KR out from quite an early stage because the bar's just been missed massively. And also when, the injury thing, like KR has put it that like essentially saying like, when I get my full squad like he does, he'd be like, everything will be all fine. Well, that hasn't materialised. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was always like, well, actually, that's just covering for the fact that you've You're there's, right. a serious, there's a serious problem getting the team to play. Yeah. Uh, the the other stuff, J- Jack, you kind of mentioned what's left of the coaching setup and the, the backroom team, but there, we, there's always been this undertone of, is there something in that? Uh, ben, we, I think, we, did we mention it on the last pod, but Ben Perkis talking about Moose? Have we had a pod since Moose has left? <laughs> no. No, because Ben Perkis was asked the question on the BBC Radio Oxford pod around, because he knows Massinho, right? I think. Yeah, both the PFA PFA chairs and Moose replaced Perkis. And Ben Perkis was talking about how he didn't, Moose didn't feel like he had, he was going to get that opportunity at Oxford in elite, even to step on just to be that little bit more involved in decision-making or whatever else. And he felt that that was the kind of career progression that he needed. And then, you listen to the back to the John, you were rattling through some of the good PR stuff that KR's done where he seems like a wholesome individual and everything else. And he, he, he definitely comes across that way, but the, the Rotherham Oxford podcast thing, yeah. Paul Warren was like, if you were picking, <laughs> if you were picking an approach and how it sounds and how we engaged, um, who is it? Barker, like Paul Warren. Yeah, would, sure. yeah. Like just the, the, how it was a tea, like that management team. And it just felt, different and a bit more professional less personal less less emotive um lots of empathy all the time and i i just think there's something in exhausted just carl robinson's so intense and exhaust quite exhausting he needs that probably that time to himself to reset like it's just that is what you what you get with with him and i I think it's a negative but it Mm. i think that's why when you're on a run of form yeah, well, well, this, amazing, this, it? this is the, the KR paradox. When it all clicks together, it's great. And we've I was looking through some of the last two seasons and looking at some random games and going, God, yeah, they, those were good times. Those were great fun, those times. But the other side of the coin is lots of the issues we've talked about. And then it goes the other side where, yeah, he's trying to clearly do too many things by himself. Um, it doesn't quite work. Um, is someone telling him what he needs to hear? And I think the answer is no one's able to or can. And the, the elephant in the room, and obviously you can't pry too much into it, but it's, sound, it's been acknowledged in national new pa- newspapers that he's got some personal stuff going on. And you don't know at what extent that can impact, A, his performance, and B, the respect he commands of the people around him. And you can't talk too much about it, obviously, but I don't think any of that stuff will be helping him. And, you know, I just... Well, I, th- I think from from our own personal points of view, you know you can't perform in your job if you've got stuff going off outside of your job, kind of thing. That's just that's just human nature. If there are things going on that are affecting your 
life in whatever way they are, yeah, it is going to weigh on you. And fo- fo- football is a an industry as such that if you've got something weigh on you, weighing on you, it massively affects your performance. You see it with players year in year out when they've got stuff going on off the pitch, whatever it may be, their performance dips. So. Yeah, you know, it's it's a personal subject, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it is pretty clear it has impacted this season. Yeah, and as you said, Jack, I think terminal is the word. I remember being at Accrington Stanley on a Tuesday night, losing four two. Billy Key scored, I think that that day. I was with Connor, and there was some KR out banners there. Mm-hmm. And now, how many? You know, I just remember that, but that felt weird. That felt like this is this wasn't it wasn't the right time. I remember us thinking well, we're not joining. We just me and JB and Connor just walked off, kind of thing. It's like I'm not getting involved in that. Um, but it's it's definitely gone to a point where there's no return for a large proportion of the fan base. And again, just let's see what happens after we play Shrewsbury, who are on a run of four wins in a row, including scoring scoring nine goals in two games within there. Notably beating Burton Albion away four nil as part of that run. <laughs> you couldn't have a you couldn't have a more stark contrast, could you, coming into this game? Four nil against Burton away, beat Cambridge five one at home, beat MK Dons one nil away, and then beat Forest Green. Obviously teams that were scrapping down at the bottom, but still. They're a bit kind of um looking at their form. Uh, streaky would be <laughs> coming off um, two wins. So two defeats, then two wins, then three losses, then four wins coming into us. So streaky would be the, the word, but um, what <laughs> do, you, do either of you know too much? What was our result? One or when we played them at their place, I think, wasn't it? They've got Dunkley uh, in the sides, who's it, been a sure it, starter for them. It was that horrific game. Um, also, also the one where Joseph got injured. Horrific game doesn't really narrow it down this season. Well, yeah, but it, it was a sort of one you were glad you decided at the last minute not to go not to, to, go to yeah. um, because it was just a slugfest, and then they inevitably sort of just sort of ground it through and uh, and made it happen. Yeah, so that is a massive game. It is massive. I I think if we if we win it, I think, you know, like you said, John, maybe you did look into it but too much, but Tim Williams, the game-by-game game thing, if we win, I think he just sticks in. If we lose, yeah. I, don't, I don't honestly think that you can lose four on the trots, have played four games more than some of the teams below you. So like, th- this is the point I was going to make. I think at the minute you go, okay, we're 10 points above the bottom four, 10 points is a lot. But then you look, everyone below us has got a... I think everyone's got at least one game in hand. Some have got two, three, four. Until those games even out a little bit, you don't know how much of a situation we're potentially in or not because you've got what wanted, you've got six teams below us above the relegate. That, that's a lot of teams to be overtaken by. That feels pretty unrealistic. But there'll be nights when we don't play and suddenly you see, I don't know, a Cheltenham pick up a point at Peterborough or something. You suddenly go, oh, blimey, the gap's down to six now. And that just starts to create a mentality as well. So I think it is very much a game-by-game basis. But You've said as well points uh, needed before April comes around because the runner games at that point suddenly looks a bit challenging to need stuff from it. Who have we got then? Uh, I think April we've got... um, 
Uh, Peterborough away, Wednesday at home, Vale away, Bolton at home, Pompey at home, Barnsley away, Forest Green away. I mean, yeah. yeah. And the fact is we've got to play, I think, seven of the teams below us, five of them away. So there's some, for them, for the teams below us, they'll be like they'll be like a Burton. They'll see us in a potentially a bad run of form and think that's a winnable game for us. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but given the board seem to be in it for the long run and the whole kind of setup on that side. If we did get completely dragged into it and the worst happened and we went down, they've got to surely accept responsibility for that and therefore do everything in their complete power to <laughs> drive us straight back. I, I kind of feel in this odd state at the moment where I'm kind of, the season's just written off and I'm but I I don't think we'll I don't think we'll get dragged in but I I think if things get that bad and then the well I think there should be a change like pretty quickly anyway but and I don't and I don't know who that is and that's the thing we've kicked around but I'm comfortable that somebody else can get a tune out of the players that we've got because there's nice he's just on tab do you know what though that type of person that would be a breath of fresh air. I don't know who the Sean Dyche of League One would be. But you know that someone is very straight talking and just calm and composed all the time and, I don't know, aggressive and quite scary, listens to death metal. And well, What we don't know is how close, like, the the top, top, like, i.e. Bakri and the board are to, to all this. I mean, obviously, Williams Ferguson will be sounding alarm bells um but there's any out of contract into milan links john that could, could be coming in maybe that's what what for is going to do is play on his old ties ties to there yeah i mean a sort of a ramon diaz-esque <laughs> manager isn't probably what we should go for at the moment <laughs> but it sounds like we're all on the same page though doesn't it we're kind of in that he needs to go with some kind of sadness tinged against it because it's generally been a good five years. At least two or three of those years have been pretty exciting, but all good things come to an end and this season's just felt very... Yeah. Whatever word I'm looking for from quite early on, really. Shit. (laughs) And speaking of uh, all good things coming to an end, should (sighs) should we end the podcast i think we that's we kind of were on a decent run we've spent a long time talking about carl but i think that is the topic that everyone is talking about about around the fan base so there you go um we've got shrewsbury then mk away plymouth at home cambridge away coming up so definitely points in those games and you just gotta gotta really hope that we're off the mark on saturday no idea what team we'll be putting out quickly predictions John, can we get a win? I think we'll draw. We won't, oh, won't know what, and then the people. What happens what. with the draw? Well, that's this is the problem. I think. I think. I think he's gone with the draw. Jack, what's the score going to be? Sorry, John. Nil, nil. Oh, uh, one all. One all. Well, we're not going to keep a clean sheet, are we? Because that's that didn't happen this season. And at the minute, I can't see us scoring more than a goal either. So I, I might be going one all as well. Who's going to um, play centre forward for us, guys? I think Smith will start. Smith. Smith. 
not Findlay. Not Findlay. <laughs> it's kept him. It's kept him in. Well, that was the thing we didn't talk about was that Hibbs apparently bid a hundred grand or something, which was a third of what we paid for him, supposedly. Well, there must have been there must have been a falling out behind the scenes, um, but that bid just seems like chance in their arm, and makes no sense for us to get rid of him. In terms of just all it does is weaken us. Yeah. And... Okay. Well, we'll finish on uh, Findlay. Thanks up, for listening, everyone. Up front on Saturday. Up front on Saturday. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, guys, and see you later. Thank you.